Um, I'm excited about this message for a couple of reasons. One, it's always nice when you dive into a message and you learn things. That's what a pastor hopefully should be doing. Uh, second of all, as I already told you, it was already mapped out for me, so that makes my life easy. So if you don't like it, you know, I, no, I'm joking. But uh, I wanted to start with a story that some of you may have heard before. And it's a story of my calling. And the reason why is during my calling, I asked God for something big and something huge. And it was a life changer for me. See, I grew up in the same church out in California. I was born on Sunday in church next to literally. And my, literally, that's how it worked. My uncle was the associate pastor. My best friends in that church, their grandfather was the pastor. One of my spiritual mentors was another pastor. Uh, my other friends, uh, you know, it was a Baptist-style church, so we had deacons, not elders. And so, you know, their dads were deacons. And, and this was what the environment I grew up in. And so growing up in that environment, everyone always told me, Isaiah, you're going to be a pastor. You're going to be a pastor. My response to that, job doesn't pay enough. No thanks. I want to make money. So fast forward about 16 years old. Uh, we bring in this guy, and, and we, were, we really were Baptocostal, you know, speaking in tongues, things like that going on in this church that I was born and raised in. So we brought in a modern-day prophet from Ireland. And this guy was really cool. You know, I just, one of the things I remember so much is he just called God his dad, you know, or daddy in, in a great Irish accent that I won't try to emulate. But he sat there, he's preached, and it was a great sermon, couldn't tell you anything about it besides that point, because I was a local, a normal teenager sitting in the back row talking the entire time. So then it comes time to do what they call ministering in the spirit, if you've never been to a Baptocostal church. And so we sit there, and he starts calling out people, you know, you, God saying this, you, God saying this. And then he goes, you two in the back corner. Oh, great. In trouble now. <laughs> been talking the entire time. I'm used to being called out. You know, like I said, my uncle was the associate pastor, and so I'm always used to being called out for talking or something. So we stand up, my friend and I, and he starts talking about my friend. You know, God's really saying this. I'm like, yeah, man, I can see that. Yeah, that's awesome. And then he goes, you, uh, God's called you to be a pastor. People have told you this. You're not heeding the call, and I see where he wants to lead you, and you need to heed the call. I'm like, okay, well, dude, you've talked to my uncle. That's nice. <laughs> Don't care who you are. Ireland's calling you back home. <laughs> yeah, job does not pay enough for me. So then we fast forward three more years roughly, and I'm getting ready to move to Kentucky because I felt really that God had called me to Asbury. It's one of those you know, things that drove by, I'm like, that's where I need to go to school. This, is the, this needs to be my home, Kentucky. And so I'm getting ready to make this life change, getting ready to leave my community, getting ready to leave my friends, my family. Literally, I moved out here before my parents, and so I'm leaving everything that I've known to come out to this unknown land known as Kentucky. And so I'm at a conference that summer, knowing that uh, this next fall that it would happen and that I'd make the move. And I go to a, a sermon at the conference. There's about 300 of us young people there. And the sermon is being a young pastor at a Timothy. And so I'm sitting there. I'm like, okay, God, now I know why you got me at this conference. Cool, great sermon title, whatever. You know, you and I have already wrestled on that. You've lost, I win. That's how it works. Yeah, I was very bold with God. That's okay. I know it's amazing. I'm still living. Um, but that's how, you know, that's how it worked. And so at the end, the guy says, listen, if you've ever been told that you are to be a pastor when you grow up, I want you to stand right now and pray. Now, of course, it happens that I'm in the back, same left-hand side. I stand. And I know that this is a life-changing moment for me at this time. I'm getting ready, like I said, move to Kentucky. And so I ask God for something so big so out of the ordinary that there was no way he would deliver. You know what I asked him? You had some dude from Ireland call me out before. 
If you want me to be a pastor, if you want me to take that, that hill, that mountain call and be a pastor, I want out of this group of 300 plus young people with some person who's preaching that I can't even tell you his name, I want him to call me out of this group right now. At that moment when I finished praying that prayer, the guy who was preaching says, you know, I just need to stop. You in the back corner right there? Yeah, 180. You do one of these. You know, my neck about broke. Yeah, he ain't talking about me because I just asked God a big thing. Me? Yeah, you. God says, there you go. I don't know what it means. That's the only word I have for you. <laughs> there you go. So needless to say, I have no doubt about my calling and uh, surrendered at that point in time. But that was huge. That was huge for a 19-year-old to ask God something like that and for God to provide it was huge. Do you guys ever ask God for big things? Do you ever ask him for things? Do they typically work around things like maybe keep my family safe? You know, I pray, God, keep my kids from harm. Don't let someone hurt them. God, keep my family safe when I'm traveling. God, yeah, God keep my life nice and easy, right? No one ever prays, God, I want you to just mess my life up for me, please. God, I want my life to be hard. No, we always pray, God, Help me with this. Help me with that. And it's usually things that are wrapped around making our life easier, right? Today, I want to look at a guy, Caleb. I'll give you a little backstory here about Caleb. Caleb was one of the spies who originally went into the promised land. And he went in uh, with Joseph and, and the others, and they went in, they came back, and Caleb and Joseph were the only two that gave the report. They're like, listen, Moses, we got this, man. Let's go in. We'll bust some caps. We got it. You know, it's cool. No problem. Yeah, they're giants. They're big dudes. You know, we look like little grasshoppers, but that's all right. We can run faster. You know, bigger they are, the harder they fall. And the other guys, they're, they're like, Moses, don't do it. It's a death sentence, suicide mission. Forget it. Can't go for it. No way. And the people of Israel actually sided with this group. And they're like, you know, I, Moses, I don't think, I think they're right. I think those two, they must have had a bad, some, some bad meat or something. You know, it is, they're delusional. There's no way. So God then says, you know what? You guys are going to wander. You're going to wander for four years. We're going to get rid of this generation that doesn't believe in me. But you two will see the promised land. And Caleb was one of the two. And so we're going to read here out of Joshua chapter 14. And there's some big words here. So if I mutilate them, that's all right. They, uh, they're Hebrew words. So, you know, you say them however you want. Sorry, in verse 7. It's true. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me to Kadesh Bernai, or Bernay, however, see, there you go, to explore the land of Canaan. I returned and gave an honest report, but my brothers who went with me frightened the people from entering the promised land. For my part, I wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. So that day, Moses solemnly promised me the land of Canaan on which you were just walking will be your grant of land and that of your descendants forever, because you wholeheartedly followed the Lord my God. Now, as you can see, the Lord has kept me alive and well, as he promised, for all these 45 years since Moses made this promise. Even while Israel wandered the wilderness, today I'm 85 years old. I'm as strong now as I was when Moses sent me on that journey, and I can still travel and fight as well as I could then. So give me the hill country that the Lord promised me. You will remember that the scouts, we found the descendants of Anak living there, in great walled towns. But if the Lord is with me, I will drive them out of the land, just as the Lord has said. Caleb's 85 years old. He's an old dude. 
I don't know about you, but if I was in that situation, I'd be like, God, I'll take the nice pasture land down here, nice little stream, looks like no one's down here, no problem. Because the thing about hill country is with anything in war, if someone is above you and you're trying to take that mountain, trying to take that hill, you are at a distinct disadvantage. And that's why they built castles up on hills. That's why you, you want the hill country. And it's fortified. And this, if you read in Numbers, this is the group that were the giants. These were the big people. And so Caleb, at 85 years old, says, you know what? That's all right. I'm just as strong as I was when I was 40. And God, I'll take the hill country. I'll, t- I'll take the hardest one there. No one would have blamed him. Would you have blamed him if he said, I'll take the pasture land. I'll take down here. I'll take something nice and easy. No, no one would have blamed him. No one would have worried about it. But Caleb, see, the thing is, is he had something when he was 40 that he had when he was 85. And that is faith that God had promised him this land. God had promised him when he was 40, he said, you know, you have the promised land. He had the faith then, and he had it now at 85. And if we want to go into this me 2.0, if we want to move as a community, we have to have some big faith. We have to have faith now, when we're a group of roughly 70 people here, 80 people, to when we're a group of maybe 200, 300, who knows what numbers God has for generations. But you have to have the faith then, so you, or now, that you had then. And so Caleb had this huge amount of faith. Well, let me talk real quick here about this idea of challenges and of mountains. Because a mountain is not necessarily a challenge that you go and you move out of your way. It's not just something that says, you know, God, here's a burden. I need to get rid of that. No, a challenge can be maybe a burden that, for something that is bigger than yourself. A mountain could be something that you're like, you know, I want to be a part of something that, that, that I can give it my all, and I still am going to fall short, and God's going to have to move in. Because believe it or not, we are hardwired for challenges. We are hardwired for mountains. It's true. They, did you know they actually studied rats and found out that if you just feed a rat, they die sooner? It's true. There you go. If you want to get rid of a rat, just feed it. Uh, one of our youth recently got a rat as a pet. And so there you go, just feed it. But if you want to love a rat and you want it to live longer, you know what you do? You give it a challenge for its food. You make it work for its food. Not only will it work and do challenges faster and quicker, but it lives longer. You stick that rat in a community and guess what? You've just extended its life even more. You love on the rat, oh, that rat's going to be living 900 plus days which in rat life years is you know, about 95 plus. So you know, if you own a rat, give it a challenge, put it in a community of other rats, and pick it up and like, oh, you're the best little rat in the world, you know, or whatever sweet nothings you say to a rat. <laughs> but you know, if you don't love a rat, just feed it and do nothing with it. We are unfortunately the same way. We are hardwired for challenges. We're hardwired to, to work towards something, work towards a bigger goal. Uh, there's a story here of a, a lady. She was a missionary. Her name was Evelyn Brand. And in 1909, she felt the call to go to India. Now, you have to realize, in 1909, they didn't have the Internet. They didn't have cell phones. You know, they, they were lucky if probably in rural India they had the right postal system to send letters back and forth. And so she, was gonna, her, she and her husband went to rural India, she and Jesse. They went and they worked for seven years in rural India. 
And they were able to write back to their mission board and give a wonderful report. After seven years of work, we haven't had a single convert. Praise the Lord. But they didn't let that get them down. They knew they were called. They knew that they were part of a bigger challenge than themselves, and they were going to give it their all. Well, the local tribal priest actually got sick right around that time, and no one in his tribe would touch him. No one would go near him. He was sick. He had a disease they didn't know. Guess who were the only two who would go in and care for him? Evelyn and Jesse. They went in. They cared for him. They nursed him as he died. And before he died, he said, if you are willing to care for me because your God commands you to do this, then your God must be the God. And you know, the townspeople, they just don't get it then. So he did, in their culture, a big thing. He gave him his kids. He said, as I die, I want you to adopt my children. That was a turning point, of course, in their ministry. That changed their ministry. They were then, after that point, spent 13 years of productive service. After 13 years, Jesse died. Being a widow in a foreign country at age 50 years old, no one would have blamed Evelyn Brand for coming home to the U.S. Everyone would have said, job well done. Come, come back to the U.S. Come back here and live a life well-deserved. Evelyn, though, knew she was part, again, of a bigger challenge. She knew that she had a mountain that she, God had said, what do you want? She goes, I want that mountain called rural India. So what did she do? She spent the next uh, 20 years by herself as a widow going around sharing the gospel. This is when she actually got the title called Granny Bran. You know? So Granny Bran would go and travel and share the gospel. So now she's 70 years old, and at 70 years old, her mission board said, you're too old to do mission work. You're too old. You need to hang it up. Come on back. She said, hmm, interesting. Don't you like this lady? A lot of little spunk. All right. They throw her a going away party. Have fun back in America. She stands up at her going away party and goes, this is nice. Thank you. I'm staying in case you didn't know. So she took her own money, built her own house that she had saved. And she did it. She had to do this actually illegally at the time because she didn't have a sending board or anyone there. And she built a house and she bought a horse. And so for three years, she went around traveling on this horse back, sharing the gospel. And then she broke her hip at 75 years old. Now, even in today's society, at 75, you break a hip, you know, come on back. You know, we have, you need to nurse that back to health. She had a son who was a doctor. He said, mom, you need to come home. You're 75. It's time. You know, you've loved on those people. You've done a great job. And you know what? She said, no. In fact, she stayed another 18 more years riding horseback, sharing the gospel. 18 more years. Because God had given her a challenge. God had given her a mountain. She said, I'm going to take that mountain for God. I'm part of something bigger than myself. At 93 years old, she finally had to give up her horseback riding. 93 years old. One would think she'd come home, right? Of course not. It wouldn't be a good story if she did, right? She didn't. She could no longer ride horseback. She had villagers carry her around via stretcher for two more years while she shared the gospel via stretcher and finally died at 95 in rural India. Do you think this lady understood that she was part of something bigger than herself? Do you think that she said, there's a mountain and God has promised me that mountain? God has said, I don't care if there are giants in there. I don't care how big they are. God has promised it and we're going to take that mountain for God. Do you think she got it? Man, Granny Bran my new hero. She was an awesome lady. But see, there are benefits to us when we're part of something bigger than ourselves. Here's a few benefits for us. 
Like I said, we are wired to thrive during challenges. We feel closer to God when we're in a challenge. Ask anyone, when's one time in your life that you felt close to God? Like really close to him. I was at a, a, a breakfast yesterday and, and this question came up. And you know what it was? It was right when, when you would be like, there's a huge challenge. There's no way anyone felt close to God during that time. If anything, they're out there going, smite me, almighty smiter. And they were like, no, I felt, man, one time in my life, I felt close to God when I was in a challenge, when I was part of something bigger than myself. So we feel closer to God. We also grow during challenges. You learn during challenges. You, you know, when we're working towards something bigger, it's when you as a person grow. We don't grow just sitting by an easy life. We don't grow when we're not challenged. And lastly, one thing that you gain is you gain a deeper relationship with others around you and with God. Think about it. When something tragic happens in a community, isn't that when all of a sudden these bonds start really forming really tight? Isn't that when, when all of a sudden you see someone come out of the woodwork that you've never seen, all of a sudden you have this connection point? Or other people rise up to a challenge and they say, you know, I'm, I'm here for you. I'm willing to do this. I'm willing to do that during a crisis time, during when you are in, in a pretty big challenging moment in your life. So, you know, we uh, feel close to God. Our relationship gets deeper with others and we grow and we learn during these times. So me 2.0 is being wrapped up today with the idea of saying, what are you a part of that's bigger than yourself? What is your mountain in your life that you are, you're a part of? Is there stuff that you can actually say that I'm a part of this, I'm a part of that, and I can only give so much, and I'm going to need God to do the rest? Because that's what the me that God wants me to be, he wants me to be a part of that. He really does. Max actually has some questions he wrote down. And since I told you I'm preaching his sermon, uh, I'll give you his questions. He has four of them here. Do you tend to look at challenges as positive or negative things? It's an important question. It's a very important question because, you know, we talked uh, last week that if you join a community uh, and you're not a part of a community, you join a small group, you, you cut your death rate in half, you know, if you, 50% less to die that year. It's an actual statistic. Did you know your outlook on life also dictates how long you live? It's true. People that are part of a community and have faith and have a positive outlook in life, they live well into their 90s. But if you're the Eeyore of life and everything's bad and doom and gloom, it's not looking good. I'm sorry. But you're probably okay with that. You already knew it wasn't going to look good. So... I have too many yours in my life. I know how it works. I'm not that way. You know, oh, the sun will come out tomorrow. Um, what are some challenges this week in your life? Do you have things in your life that this week that you could say, you know what, that's a mountain for me? Maybe it's your workplace. Maybe instead of thinking, God, just get me a new job, please, Lord. <sighs> Maybe it's a mountain that God's wanting you to take and walk in and be the person God's calling you to be in there. If you were part of the spies that went in the first time, which side would you be on? Would you be part of the minority that says, man, yeah, I'm going to bust some heads? Or would you be on the other side that says, I don't know, I, I think they're on something, it's, it's bad news. 
And lastly, do you need to do any life rearranging to help you focus on a cause bigger than yourself? Is there something that you need to do so that way you can give maybe yourself some time to be a part of this bigger thing? Because see, at Generations, we are part of something bigger than ourselves. You're already part of that community. But maybe there's something in your life. Maybe there's some mountain that you're like, knowing God is calling you to. Trust me. It's amazing how once you know that this is the mountain God wants you to take, things just line up. They just line up. Things just work. You know, I am so thankful that God gave me my calling the way he did. And I know that's very unique, but I'm also a unique individual. I don't think if I didn't have the, uh, you know, fire from the sky type of calling that I would be doing this today. Being a pastor is hard. I think anyone who says, man, I want to be a pastor, they, time to reevaluate. <laughs> you know, but you all have that. Each and every one of you have something you are called to do. Each and every one of you are, have something that you need God to work in your life. And you say, here's my mountain. But maybe you need to rearrange some things. Maybe you need to move away from Southern California to Kentucky in order to really find God. It's what blows me away about rearranging my life. You know, who would think I'd have to leave Southern California to come to Kentucky to really find God? But that's how it works. That's how God works. And the thing is, is we want to be the people that God wants us to be. So we ch- I want to challenge you today. I want to challenge you to, to maybe change your prayers Maybe we need to start praying, God, use me, disturb me, challenge me, give me a mountain, God, that I can take for you. Give me something big for you. Instead of, God, keep my family safe, keep me from harm, give me lots of money so I don't have any problems. Maybe we need to change it so we can become a part of something bigger than ourselves.